Thank you for listening to Fireside Church Messages. We are a church on the North Shore of Massachusetts seeking to love God, love others, and help others do the same. You can learn more at our website, firesidechurch.org. We are beginning a church-wide initiative to read through the New Testament in one year. We would love for you to join us. You can find the link to join at our website. Please enjoy the message. Say good morning to all of you and what a joy it is to be back here among you. I was here in November, the 3rd of November, and what a treat that was. Anything I can do to support Andy Bauer and ministry, I'm there. So uh, that is a beloved brother, and I am grateful uh, to be with his people, and you are the ones who are gathered here, and my goodness, what an interesting congregation. I was told this congregation really just had one service, and it was at 10 o'clock, but I, I clearly learned there are two services here, a congregation that gathers at 10, and another one that gathers at 10.30, and it looks like you share space. So I like that. I like that. You're already expanding to two services. This is amazing. Okay, I want to preach today some a, a way that's a little unusual for me. Uh, and that is, normally, I dive right deeply into just one passage, explain that whole thing. But today, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to take you on a tour of the Bible, on a theme that goes through the Bible, um, because it's about a value. Now, last time I happened to be here, it's almost, today's a continuation of November 3rd, because then I was really talking about the value of children in the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to talk about the value of people in the kingdom of God and that that in itself is in fact a blind spot for many of us. We don't always recognize the value of people. Sometimes we recognize the value of doctrine, we recognize the value of authority, we recognize the value of worship, but do we recognize the value of people? So I'm going to read to you from John chapter 4. I think many of you are reading John this year and in part of your groups. And so I want you to hear a story about Jesus and a very unlikely person to be encountering Jesus, who is known as the Samaritan woman. So hear the text as we start in the fourth chapter and the fourth verse. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Parenthesis, for Jews... Do not associate with Samaritans. Well, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. Jesus said, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And then the story goes on. And she eventually meets and understands Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, open this text and many others to us that we might, in fact, see who you are and what it is you are calling us to do. Because we need 2020 vision in this year that is yet to come. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me set up what we're going to do by talking a few minutes about blind spots. Blind spots signify there are things that we're just not seeing that somehow to be a Christian we ought or we could be seeing, but we're not seeing something is missing. So take a look at the people around you for a minute. Would you just look at somebody? Just look. Are you seeing? Do you know what color eyes they have? What are they wearing? Are you seeing them? Because sometimes we just don't see all the things we might see. And sometimes we just have a blind spot, which affects our very identity. And there are things, you know, blind spots really comes from kind of this view of driving in a car and having those partial places on the near right and the near left where the rear view mirror and the side mirror don't quite come together and you can have a car just coming up right around you and you just don't see. It's in a blind spot. But what if something Jesus wants you to know is in one of your blind spots? You just can't see it. It affects who you are. For instance, let me give you an example. On the top of my head, I am told that there is a bald spot right up here. Now, when I rub my hand over it, I'm feeling hairs. Not many, but I'm feeling hairs. So my identity is not that I have a bald spot. Because you see, my hair was part of my identity in high school. I had a 22-inch afro from this side to this side, up to here. It was beautiful. It didn't have naps in it. It was red. It kind of flowed. I played football, put the helmet on it, and it stuck out the side hole. It was just classic. A 22-inch afro. So I don't think of myself with a 22-inch afro. That's kind of still the way I feel like I look. My wife 
the minute she met me, brought scissors and is slowly, slowly trimmed that thing. And if I grew it back today, there would be a chimney in the afro because there's not much growing right up there. And I never see it. I can't turn this way. I can't turn this way. It's only when I get in a motel and there's a mirror in front of me and a mirror behind me, I go, what's that? It looks like I've got a yarmulke on my head. What is that? And I come to grips, oh, right. I've got a bald spot. But you see, I've got a blind spot about that. So it doesn't get into my consciousness. There are times when I walk in a room, I just don't notice certain things. I notice things like where the couch is. I notice maybe where the TV is. But if you ask me what was the art on the wall, might not have noticed. I've got a blind spot about that. Cute little story about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. They went on a camping trip. After a really good meal, a bottle of wine, they lay down for the night and went to sleep in their tent. Sometime later, Holmes woke up and he nudged his faithful friend. Watson, look up and tell me what you see. Watson said, well, I see millions and millions of stars. And Holmes says, well, what does that tell you? And Watson pondered for a minute. He said, well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and the potential of billions of planets. Astrologically, it tells me that Saturn is in the constellation Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect tomorrow is going to be a beautiful day. Why? What does it tell you? And Holmes said, Watson, it means someone has stolen our tent. You see, we can be very blind to what's going on right in front of us. The tent was just gone. And in a spiritual sense, you can be blind to what God is doing for us and what God has for us. So one definition of a blind spot, it's a personal trait or an aspect we don't know about that may limit the way we act, react, behave, or believe, and therefore limit our effectiveness. Christians have even more trouble with blind spots. Because Christians, you see, live in two worlds. Two worlds. Values from two worlds. We live part of this world and we live as part of the kingdom of God. Now you can understand a little of that if you have actually lived in two different countries or maybe two different regions. So let me see everybody in here who is thoroughly from New England, all my New Englanders. Let me see the amen, amen. Okay, let me see anybody in this room who has grown up anywhere else besides New England. Where are those from? Ah, those are the two world people. 
Because you see, they've actually lived in another place. And they live and understand sometimes another set of values. And they're trying to kind of live in these both worlds. So I moved into my house. I live in Ipswich. The person that sold me the house, a man, said, you're going to love it. Because the neighbors here will never bother you. And I say, I'm from Texas. And I thought, neighbors that don't bother you do not appeal to me. We're going to knock on, we're going to be a problem in our neighborhood because we're kind of nosy and friendly and take things and knock on doors and say, hi, how y'all doing? You know, that's not exactly the way they do it in my neighborhood. But now we have been annoying and now we have gotten to know these people and they're kind of wonderful and we're just enjoying it. But see, when a Christian becomes in Christ, we suddenly are living with two sets of values. One of them you would actually call worldliness. David Wells, who teaches at the seminary, or did for a long time, said worldliness is that which makes sin look normal. So you're part of a world that values a number of things that are actually not part of the kingdom of God. Right now, in North America, in this day and time, you live in a world that values individualism. We're going to do it on our own. We're tough, rugged individuals. It's a very kind of New England quality, as well as many other places in the country. We live in the middle of self-centeredness. We live in the middle of materialism, that everything that is important is something you put your hand on. We live in the middle of consumerism, which has been rampant for about the last 80 years, where we are based on what we purchase and what we own and it conforms many of our values on other things. We are living in an era where sexual expression has been different than it has ever been historically and that becomes, you see, the taken for granted world we live in. But when Jesus came, what he asked you to do is step into the kingdom of God. Now, that's got a whole different value system. And therefore, you've got one foot in one world and one foot in another world. Near where I work in Hamilton, there is this cute little gas station that sits right on the Hamilton-Wenham line. It runs right through the gas station. I'm not sure where the gas station pays their taxes. But my kids, when they were young, used to get a kick out of putting one foot in Wenham and one foot in Hamilton. Because, of course, Hamilton Wyndham School was kind of the school system around, but you could live in both. Well, that's what you're doing. You've got one foot in this world. You've got another foot in the kingdom of God, and it's competing for your values. And that very dynamic brings you face-to-face -face with blind spots. Two worlds every day. And you're going to have to sort out over time what are the values Jesus wants you to hold and what are the values that actually are alien to that. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish theologian, used to love to poke fun at the Danish church on many varieties and he used parables to explain so many things. So here's one of his parables. A, a thief broke into a jewelry store late one night. But he didn't steal anything. Instead, he moved the price tags around on everything. 
So that what was really expensive suddenly looked cheap. What was really cheap suddenly looked expensive. Kierkegaard says that's what the devil has done to your world. It has changed the price tags on everything. So now we're actually confused about what's really valuable and that's created for us a blind spot, an enormous blind spot. So let's look at an example. Let's pretend you're married or dating or in some kind of love. And let's pretend that all through the Christmas season you were looking forward to a date you were going to have on Saturday night, January the 4th. You, you had already bought tickets to a show, you were going to go to dinner, it was going to be so fun on January the 4th, on that Saturday night. But then the Patriots lose to Miami on December the 30th. And suddenly there's a wild card game. And it gets scheduled for, uh-oh, Saturday night, January the 4th. The Patriots are playing the Tennessee Titans. Honey, do you think we ought to postpone our day? Because, you know, this is like a really important game and uh, maybe somebody else can go to that show and you see you're caught competing values. You really want to go on this day. You really want to see this game, which turned out to be kind of a dud, so maybe you didn't want to see it. But you watched it anyway, at least for three quarters. And, and so you go, wow, what if, or what if it's your child's birthday and that falls on the opening day of hunting season? Two values. But what if the world teaches you about your money that you're supposed to be saving it so that you can have a successful retirement and yet the Lord seems to value generosity, competing values. So you see, you're in the middle of competing values, which gives you blind spots all the time. Do we value children? That's what I was talking about last time. So Jesus says this in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another by this. All men will know that you're my disciples. So loving other people seems to be rather important. Is that your value? Is that central to your life in the kingdom of God? So today I want to teach you a three-step process about people. The number one thing is going to be, do you want to value people the way Jesus valued people? Number two, how are you going to start noticing people? Because most of us have a blind spot about people. Sometimes we don't even see them. We just see the people we know. We just see the people we like. We just see the people we want to talk to. And then you're encountering all kinds of people every day. You just filter out. Because that's what the world has taught you to do. And thirdly, how do we love people? So now back to John 4. It took us a long time to get there. Jesus arrives in a Samaritan village. He's tired. One of the classic passages that expresses the human side of Jesus. He sits down by a well. It happens to be a famous well, a well that Jacob owned. 
And, and in the middle of that, as he's sitting there tired, his disciples are off to get food, he needs water from this well, he doesn't have a bucket, he doesn't have anything to get water from that well. Suddenly, a woman shows up and it's noon. Now, noon may not mean much to you, but in the ancient uh, Near East, people did not get water at noon. No one went to the well at noon. Too hot. You always went first thing in the morning, last thing in the evening. The well was the village conversation time. Primarily women went to the well in that culture, and so that was the time to have what we would call Facebook chats of today. That was your Facebook time, where you actually went, conversed, and the only people that went to the well at noon were people who did not want to be seen in the morning and the afternoon. So John is giving you a tip, it was noon. That signals you that this woman was not a reputable woman. We later find out she's already had five husbands. And the man she's living with now is not her husband. She's shacking up. So that's not the kind of life you would want to bring to the well in the morning because everybody was like, you see her. And so she just didn't want to go through all of that shame. So she shows up at noon. Further, a Jewish rabbi was not supposed to talk to any woman in public, even your wife, even your sister. You didn't talk to him in public. Not a rabbi. So when Jesus shows up and engages this woman and says, could I have something to drink? She is shocked. What are you talking to me about? You're a Jewish man, doesn't even know he's a rabbi yet. I'm a Samaritan woman. Do you realize we don't talk in public values? That's not what goes on, values. Jesus has a different set of values. And he begins to have this conversation with her about living water, and he's trying to lead her to the Lord, and she's kind of slow. She's not getting it. But Jesus keeps asking and keeps asking, and he crosses social barriers, racial barriers, gender barriers, and he gets to kingdom values, and he's showing us that in John's gospel. The calling of the Christian is not to be limited by all of those forces, but rather the value is to love people. That's how they're going to know you are my disciples. Tim Keller wrote, if Christianity is a matter of grace, then when you come to church, you need to leave something at the door. Out there, what matters is class, race, gender, moral performance. Leave it at the door. That's not the value we've got here. He's talking to a Samaritan woman, and that should shape the, our understanding of a value, and eventually that should shape our understanding of a behavior, unless you've got a blind spot, and you don't see the values of the kingdom. Secondly, from Matthew 9, 35, 36, 37, 38, it's a passage that's really kind of a great commission passage. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. It's a fun passage to look at. But it starts with when Jesus saw the crowd. 
He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So one of the behaviors you see in Jesus is he keeps noticing people. All through the Gospels, you're finding this amazing word that Jesus sees people. Andrew and another disciple were curious about Jesus and start following them. And Jesus turns around, John says, and he saw them. And he asked, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? In John 1, 47, 48, he explains to Nathaniel that I already saw you under a fig tree. He's noticing people. In Mark chapter 1, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew, and he called them to follow. Mark 1, 19, when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. The Gospels, if you pay careful attention, keep showing you that he saw them, he saw them, he saw them. And really, there's a lot of Greek words that have to do with the function of opening your eyes and seeing. And this word really means notice, 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 notice. He saw them, he noticed them, he saw them, he noticed them, he saw them. Jesus saw an invalid who was lying by the pool of Bethesda who had been there 38 years. Usually disabled people don't get noticed by the world. In Luke 19.5, he saw Zacchaeus up in a sycamore tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, come on down. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. You might know this song. Okay. He saw him up in the sycamore tree. Are you noticing? People didn't notice tax collectors. Tax collectors were like, yuck. They are so entrenched with the Romans. He saw Matthew sitting at the tax collector's table. He saw the widow of Nain in a funeral procession. He saw a woman who had an issue of blood. He talks to Simon who is, when he's being anointed by a woman, who is a questionable woman and anointing his feet. And he says, Simon, did you even see the woman? Do you even see her? Do you see her? So one of the values of Jesus is he sees people. Let me ask you this about your life. Do you see people? Do you notice people? Are you aware of people? That means that the value says we notice people whether they're rich or whether they're poor. Whether they're beautiful or whether they're a little like me, less beautiful. Whether they're abled or whether they're disabled. Whether they're young or whether they're old. Whether they're educated or uneducated. Whether they're good folks or tough old sinners. Yet most Christians, if we're honest, have a blind spot. We don't see people. So let me ask you, you go to the grocery store, you get in line at Market Basket. Everybody in Market Basket is wearing a little red jacket kind of thing, an apron kind of thing. And on that is always the cashier's name. How often do you notice the cashier and speak to them by name? Hello, Gladys. Thanks for being here today. 
Or is that a person doing a transaction in your life? Are you mostly a consumer? And a consumer has no reason to pay attention to people. You just have a, a transaction you're trying to get done. When you go out to a restaurant, you've got a waiter or a waitress. They've got a name. Do you notice their name? If it's not on a badge, have you ever asked their name? Do you call them by name? Are they just there to bring you food, or are they a person? Did you notice the story Andy told a while ago? Text came through, we need to pray for somebody upstairs because they've had the same disease as Ellie. Now you know, if you're not living in the kingdom of God, or if you're just slightly living in the kingdom of God, with a big blind spot, you know what you would have done at that point? All right, let's pause and pray. Lord, help that person, and I'm going to sit right on my butt right here and stay right here. But you see, when the kingdom of God values take over, you get on the elevator, you go upstairs. Now, they may not want to see you. I mean, Andy is taking some risk at that point. They may go, get out of here. You love your neighbors. They never bother you. You know, you may get into that. And so now he is a risking being rejected, guess who did that every day of his earthly life? That was Jesus. Do you have a blind spot? Have you allowed the world to lull you into a behavior that is really not a kingdom value at all? And you're kind of just going with it? So, an example would come from Philippians. The second chapter, Paul's writing about a man named Timothy. It's kind of a throwaway passage. There's not a single magnet that is on a refrigerator that has this verse on the magnet. It's just not that cool of a verse. It's really travel plans, but listen to it. It goes like this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine interest for your welfare. For everyone else looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He's contrasting two values. The value of being genuinely interested in people and the value of still being interested in yourself. Now, now Paul is sitting in Rome. He's concerned about the Philippians. He can't go. He's in prison. He's got to send somebody. So he looks in his little corral of interns. Who am I going to send? No, I can't send you. You're still thinking about you. No, you're going to ask whether it's a four-star or a five-star hotel. I can't send you. No, you're going to be worried about whether this is a business class ticket or a coach. No, I can't send you. I, I, one person I can send, Timothy, he's really going to be seeing you. That's the one I'm going to send. The rest of them are not some kind of unredeemed people. They are young Christians. But the rest are still looking out for self. That is our primary orientation at the fall. We love being the center of our universe. And after you come to Christ, theoretically, you give up the right to be your own Messiah. You resign. But we don't quite resign. We don't quite resign. And so, assuming this value of noticing people happens first. Is that the value that God has in my life? 
And so secondly, to begin to make the shift into the value of people, we've got to do a behavior of starting to notice people. So if you ride a train <laughs> in Boston from Newburyport and you're on that train, there are all kinds of people around you. It gets pretty crowded by the time you get to something like Salem. On your way in, are you noticing people or are they just in your way while you're trying to get out the door? Because probably you see some of the same people every week. And it's part of noticing, noticing people around you. TSA agents at the airport. It becomes a new habit. Who did I notice today? You can start writing it down. Who did I notice today? Here was my mother's drill to me. My mother was Dutch. She was a little overbearing at times, <clears throat> quite uh, good at splashing guilt around. That was just kind of their way. Um, but every Sunday at lunch after church, this was the drill. This was my mother's Sunday lunch drill. Were any new kids in Sunday school today? Not I'm not keeping rolling. I was not the person keeping rolling. No, just picture the room. Close your eyes. Picture the room. Were there any new kids there? Actually, there was one. Good, we're all finished with that. Her next question would always be, was that kid looking comfortable in Sunday school or uncomfortable? Mom, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know these things. Picture the room. Were they happy or sad? Well, actually, they were crying. I, I, yeah, they were crying over the corner. Ah, third and final question. Was there anything you could do about that. Again, I'm not the teacher. What was my mother trying to prepare me to do? Notice people. Respond to people. Love people. She was always, believe it or not, the last one to leave on a Sunday morning. Because she was just kind of a sheepdog, always looking for stray sheep. And she would just wander around and meet and greet and meet and greet. So, number one, if you've got a value, you start finding a habit. Notice people. Notice people. Notice people. Try to notice people. In a church, you might come like you're a consumer and try to notice whether Connor is leading music well, good job, that was fun, I enjoyed, and whether Andy preaches well, and some of you are mad that I'm preaching instead of Andy today, and I get that, I was always in that boat. And so you, and you evaluate at the end, well, was it good today? But you see, if you want to be not a church, but a gathering, and you don't want to have a blind spot, then it's the people that are so important. And you would never want to leave here without finding somebody new that you can greet, that you can engage, that you can invite, that you can encourage, because it's about people. If, if you're about consumerism, then you want the most inspiration for the least cost. And this is kind of a cool church. They don't pass an offering plate and get a lot of inspiration. So I get the most inspiration, least cost. This is good. I like this place. You come in flannel shirts and, you know, it's just not good. Nice. But if you 
let go of being a consumer and you want to be a Jesus follower, then the people matter enormously. And there's not just some other person occupying space on your road. That's somebody for whom Christ died. Very, very valuable, folks. So third step. What step can I take to show them that I love them? What would be a first step? Well, I might introduce myself, and I might learn to ask a question about them. You know, Jesus asked 287 questions in the New Testament, and he answered three questions. So it looks like asking questions is pretty valuable to Jesus Christ. And the people in here, somebody just needs to say, how was your week? Because you might say it fell apart. It was disastrous. This and this and this happened. It might have been a great week. But somebody needs to know us. So you take a step. And there's actually finally a passage in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus heals a man who was blind. And he asks him, can you see? And he says, I see, but it looks like people look like trees walking around. Meaning he can't quite see. He's got a blind spot. And so Jesus touches him a second time. And then he can see clearly. And then he sees people. It's not a mistake that he was looking at people and seeing them as trees walking around. And that's what changed. The 2020 vision was about seeing people. A value has to change. A habit has to change. A behavior begins to change. And behavior and habits don't really happen until the value changes. Do you need a second touch of Jesus? Do you need to just touch your eyes again today because of the blind spot you're carrying? Because if that happens, this church could be so transformative in this part of New England because people would go, wait a minute, look how they love one another. I think they must be disciples. If, on the other hand, you assume you're just a crowd watching an event like a consumer, you're not going to be that much different than a lot of other organizations on the North Shore. It's only when you risk loving people rarely and breaking down barriers that's when you really become a remarkable church. So today, I'm not really going to offer, you know, the benediction where you stand up and say, yadi 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 which And a benediction means it's done. You know, that's really what a benediction is. I want you to deliver the benediction today by meeting and asking a question of, and seeing somebody you may have never seen. Now I want you to remember the closing lines of that second song that you sang. So kind of remind us of those closing lines. Stand up and tell them again. Lead me in your love to those around me. Lead me in your love to those around me. You just sang it. So now we're going to do it. Lead me. In your love, look around, look around, look around, maybe over here, maybe over here, look around. 
Your job for the benediction is to go greet somebody who you don't know and find out one thing about them, even if it's how was your week. And that's the benediction. You are giving the benediction. They can ask the same thing of you. So I'm going to pray, and maybe God will shake us to a new habit of noticing people. And I know all the introverts in the house are going, oh no, where can I hide? But an introvert doesn't get a pass on the values of the kingdom because somebody needs you too. And somebody needs exactly the gifts and the personality that you have. So let us pray. Lord, this is your word. We're kind of blind to some of this. We don't see it all together. But would you help change the value of our hearts so that we begin to see what you see and begin to appreciate the values you have and just help us take a step today in one direction to meet one person we don't know and be interested in them. And as we go, may we go doing your will. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.